In fact, sometimes I just let it, I'm like, let's just keep it up another week and another week and another week. All right, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here. Let me give a few announcements. Uh, December 17th, we're going to do some Christmas caroling. So if you're able to do that, if you're willing to do that with your kids, family, grandkids, join us. We'd like you to sign up at the desk there in the lobby so that we know we're going to have a little meal before we go. And I'm going to do my best to try to get the caroling done right after we eat. Sometimes it doesn't work for nursing homes. Sometimes it's a two or three, but we'll do our best. And we're also going to visit some of the shut-ins that we have. Also on the 10th, Mom's Fellowship is coming up. And again, all these announcements are in the bulletin. So maybe some Sunday we won't even do announcements. Okay, maybe we will. All right, and I think that's all that we have. Boy, I get the shortest Sunday. So there's one more. There is more. Oh, yeah, the Christmas Eve time. So, again, Christmas Eve is landing on a Sunday. So we're going to have three different services, all with the same content, maybe not the same people. So choose which one you want. we got the two morning services that are at the same times that we have our Sunday services, and then a 6 p.m. service, if that's something that fits in best for, with your plans, tradition, what you do Christmas Eve, I'm not sure. So we are excited. We encourage you also to bring neighbors and friends and family for this time as we celebrate Jesus. So on the church calendar, this is the time of Advent. Now, I'm a Baptist boy growing up as a kid, and we never had Advent. It's more of, more of the liturgical churches do this, and some churches follow the, candle, the calendar very rigidly. And uh, we don't really follow the, the calendar that rigid. In fact, Advent started last week. What we usually do here at Maranatha is on that Sunday, we don't do Advent. Sometimes we do, but we focus more on Thanksgiving. We were very grateful for Darren Cox's sermon last Sunday that was encouraging. And we begin Advent this time. And we have a variety of candles that we light. And we want to, ultimately, the middle candle will be lit on Christmas Eve, celebrating Jesus. Each Sunday we celebrate something, so guess what? We're going to celebrate Jesus nonstop this Sunday. We got a couple candles. In fact, three of them are the words we have up here on the stage. These three things, hope, joy, and peace, those are possible because of the candle I'm going to light now. Let me see how fancy I can do this without spilling anything. Today I'm going to light the love candle. All of this, the hope that we have, the peace that we have, and the joy is based upon the great love of God for us. He knew that we needed a Savior. And it's out of his great love that he gave. In fact, the most famous verse is, For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave us his precious son. And this morning we have the privilege of having, a few weeks ago we had Michelle's dad, now we're going to have Michelle's husband and best friend preaching. So welcome, Pastor Tony. Thank you, Pastor Cody. Um, And if I can sneak in, one other little reminder announcement is that uh, you should have received, if you're a regular attender, if we have your email, you should have received an email by uh, late last night, uh, if not earlier in the week, about our update to our directory, and you should get access online. If you don't want to mess with any of the online stuff, 
go see Michelle in the lobby or in the uh, fellowship hall at the desk in the corner um, between services, and she'll help you get make sure your stuff is correct in our database before we try to print the directory in in January. Um, and again, last week um, apparently I wasn't abundantly clear that we are doing a printed physical paper copy directory you can hold in your hands and flip through. We are also providing an online directory, but we're, so we're doing both. So quite a few people seem to have a question thinking that um, I meant that we were only doing the online, but no, nope, we're doing both. Um, so we'd love to have your help uh, getting that updated. Um, I have, uh, in my sermon notes here, I have an intro, but actually before my intro, I have my pre-intro. So I'm going to give that to you now, and then we'll get to the intro in a moment. But I wanted to, I don't always have a chance to, to be up front and say a few things. I wanted to say thank you to the congregation for a couple things. One, I wanted to thank the congregation for those of you that during October, Pastor Appreciation Month, where you give notes and cards and sometimes little gifts to us as uh, pastors. It is very much appreciated. Um, uh, pastoral ministry can be discouraging at times and difficult, and so those little notes of encouragement mean a lot. So thank you for that. Um, it helps us uh, to feel loved, and I know for Michelle and I that, that means a lot. I want to also publicly thank our elders at Maranatha, who are fellow under-shepherds together with the pastors. And I want to encourage you as a congregation, as, we maybe, as you get to next October, to think about um, not just appreciating the, the staff elders, the pastors, but to uh, appreciate the other elders. I, we believe biblically as elders that the elder pastor role is very similar, um, basically identical, but uh, the differentiation being that some of us are able to be paid by the church to focus full-time on the work of the ministry, while the non-staff elders are, a lot of them are doing full-time work outside of the church. And so um, I am so blessed by the team of elders that we have and, and ones that we've had throughout the past as well. Um, we have uh, a, a great blessing um, to be able to serve together and and so I just encourage you, um, when you have uh, an opportunity, to thank the elders. Um, and lastly, I just want to thank the congregation for the opportunity for Michelle and I uh, a few weeks ago, um, along with other pastors, to invest in our marriage at the retreat that we went to in Florida. Um, the week after that, Pastor Cody was able to go with Amber. Um, and so I just want to personally thank the congregation for the opportunity to do that. It's, um, we've gone a few times, Michelle and I, over the years to that event, and it is... Um, a huge way in which you have caused us as a couple to feel loved and cared for by our church family, and so thank you. And our own kids may not fully realize how much they benefit from this time that Michelle and I get to go away, um, but they do benefit from that um, as well. And uh, you know, the reason for this is that I firmly believe that the, one of the best gifts that parents can give their children is a strong and healthy marriage, a loving marriage. And even as I say this, I'm sensitive to the reality that for some, perhaps many of you listening to this, you long to have, the, to give the gift of a healthy marriage to your children, but perhaps your spouse is largely unwilling to engage with that difficult process of cultivating a healthy marriage. And so please know that you are in my prayers. Um, my prayer is that God's glorious grace will be sufficient for you today. And when the sun sets on today, my prayer is that God's glorious grace and his mercies that are new every morning will be sufficient for you tomorrow. And for as long as you uh, wait for him to bless you with um, the answer to your prayers, 
longing for that day when all things will be made new, made right. So that was my pre-intro. My intro is this. I just wanted to reflect briefly more on this idea of Advent. As we're beginning the Advent uh, season here at Maranatha, uh, what is Advent? Uh, As many of you know, the word Advent comes from the Latin term, Adventus, meaning arrival or coming. And Pastor Cody mentioned a little bit about um, you know, this, this uh, tradition of Advent and what it's about. It's both about reflecting on the significance of Jesus' first coming and it points us to the hope that we have for his second coming. And as Pastor Cody uh, planned out this Advent series, he chose to have us reflect each week on certain uh, aspects of Jesus. And the aspect I will be reflecting on with you this morning has to do with Jesus as the creator. So as we turn our minds to this idea of Jesus as a creator, I invite you to imagine something with me. Imagine that there's an author who's written a series of books within which he's created a world from his own imagination. There are characters that are developed with intricate details, each with unique personalities, character traits, and even some character flaws. They inhabit a world of their own designed and developed by the author. The characters face challenges, temptations, and conflicts. And all of these threaten to undo all that is good and right in their lives and in their world. And over the years in which this author of these stories has has, uh, given birth to and developed his creation, his love for his creation has deepened. He finds great joy in the development and growth of this world and in his characters in his creation. Yet one thing saddens him. He's saddened by the realization that the characters he has made cannot truly know him as their creator, as their author. They can get to know and enjoy one another, but he is outside the story. And therefore, they can only know him in part as they come to learn more generally about him through the world he created and how that world may dimly reflect certain truths about the author himself. Well, imagine with me, however, that this author decides to defy the normal conventions of creating stories and he chooses to write himself into the story to intentionally and purposefully enter into the world he created in order that the characters he has created can meet him and interact with him and more fully come to know him. Well, apparently, we're not the first to imagine this idea. In fact, I came across a list of authors and film directors who have written themselves into their stories, not the least of which is C.S. Lewis, who wrote himself into the book Perlandra, which is the second book in his space trilogy. And another example, uh, which I was unaware of, uh, is Peter Jackson, who gave himself some cameo appearances in a number of the Lord of the Rings films, including the time he appeared in Two Towers as a Rohan soldier, throwing a spear towards the Urahai who were assaulting the fortress at Helm's Deep. So while C.S. Lewis and Peter Jackson may not have had the exact same motivations as the author in our imagined scenario, The point is that in order for the characters in a book or a movie to have the opportunity to truly know the author or the director, he would need to enter his created story to give the characters that opportunity. And what we see in the biblical narrative is that not only did God reveal himself to us through the the written word, but he graciously went even further to send his son to enter into the creation. 
to take on flesh and dwell among us as the incarnate word so that we might truly and more fully know our triune God. What a gracious God we have. The title of the message this morning is this, Jesus, the creator who entered his own creation. I hope you brought your Bible with you today, whether that be a paper Bible or your digital Bible, and I invite you to open it with me now to the Gospel according to John. Um, and I'm going to invite uh, Ethan Peterson, who's actually one of our students, going to come up and read this for us. But uh, if you're not familiar with navigating it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so find it there in the New Testament, um, in John's Gospel. Um, um, Ethan... Uh, and a group of other high school guys, we've had the opportunity to actually be studying the book of John over this past year. What time do we get up usually? Or, or get, get here? 6.20. 6.20 in the morning. Some high school guys coming in to the soul garage to study the word of God together. It's such a blessing to me. I stop by Quick Trip, get some goodies for them, and uh, we dig into the word. So we're getting close to finishing it. We've got a few weeks left in our study of John, but I've uh, just, uh, I love to incorporate uh, young people into the times that we have in our, in our services together this morning. So Ethan's going to read from us in, uh, from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Make sure it's on. Yeah, great. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And though the world was made through him, Uh, the world did not recognize him. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man who was sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives life to all mankind was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of husband decision, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cried out saying, this is a one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and peace came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Thank you so much, Ethan. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Allow me to pray um, for God to speak to us as we dig into this passage together. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for your word that you have so graciously blessed us with that we might come to know you. And even more, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to to dwell among us, to teach, to live, to ultimately die that we might live. And so we might come to know you in a very real and personal way. What a blessing this is. As we dig into your word together this morning as your church, we pray that you would speak to us, that our hearts would be responsive, that we would be encouraged, challenged, and we would worship you as we come to know you more, as we reflect again regularly upon who, uh, who you are, the character traits of our great God. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen. I've preached from a portion of this selection of of text uh, some time ago. However, this is the sort of text that I believe a pastor could preach 20, 30, 50 sermons from and not fully plumb the depths of what is contained within this passage. In our time together this morning, we will not have time to address or expound upon many of the rich truths contained in this passage, but instead we will focus primarily on one key truth this text points to as it relates to the Advent theme of Jesus, the creator who came into his creation. The problem uh, that I think, one of the problems that I think this text addresses is the problem that, that we tend to become desensitized to the great lengths to which our creator has gone to make himself known. You know, we may read or hear about the incarnation regularly enough to where we we tend to tune out a little bit and think, oh yeah, yeah, I I know what that means. God coming to dwell among us. I hear it every Christmas, maybe multiple times, right? But do we take the time to slow down and to really, truly reflect more deeply on what it means that Jesus the creator actually entered into his creation? My hope is that we will all be edified and encouraged and moved to worship as we reflect on this simple truth from John 1. And the big idea that I want to lay out for us this morning is this, that Jesus is the creator who entered his creation, making it possible for us to truly know our triune God. Jesus is the creator who entered his creation, making it possible for us to truly know our triune God. And while we could spend weeks unpacking John 1, there are three things I want to highlight from this text for us this morning. First, Jesus is the creator. If you're like me, you may have a tendency to think of God the Father as the creator and not God the Son. And to some respect, that's right, that God the Father is the creator. Um, But we see here in our text in John, along with other scriptures that clearly teach that Jesus, God the Son, was actively involved in the creation of the world. Take a look with me at John 1, verse 3. It says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And as part of making this case, however, it seems important to make the case that the him in John 1, 3 truly refers to Jesus, since it doesn't actually mention Jesus by name at that point in John's gospel. The pronoun him most clearly connects back to verse one where John writes, in the beginning was the word. And if your Bible is like mine, the word, the word word is capitalized. So there's something going on with this word word. So 
The hymn in verse 3 is referring back to the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then it says, through him, the Word, all things were made. So that word, word, as many of you perhaps already know as well, is the Greek word logos. And much has been written on the etymology or the meaning uh, of that very significant word, both in Greek and in Jewish philosophy. But that is a rabbit hole for another time. Um, although if you are interested to dig into that, I can recommend some resources that uh, in my study this week I found very, very interesting, very helpful. But the flow of the text here in John 1, it leads us to the point I'm making about um, without diving you know, deep into the Greek. And here's the basic case for my claim that John is referring to Jesus in verse 3 when he is talking about the agent of creation. The divine word, or logos, is the primary subject in John 1. The divine word was life in verse 4. And in John 14, 6, later in his gospel, Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. Um, that life was the light of all mankind, as we see in verse 4. And in John 8, 12, Jesus claims to be the light of the world. Uh, we see in verse 5 of, John's gospel, of chapter 1 of John's gospel here that John the baptizer, and again, sometimes when people are reading this, they read verse uh, 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and they wrongly assume that's John the apostle, who many believe is the author of this gospel account, um, but that's actually John the, the baptizer um, who he's referring to there. And it says, John the baptizer came as a witness to the light. I mean, we know that John the Baptist served as a witness, pointing people to Jesus, preparing the way for Jesus. And as we'll get to as well in a moment, we see in verse 14 um, that the word became flesh. We see that he's referred to as the one and only son. Um, so again, there's without diving deep into making that connection, most of you, I think, know and understand that when John is using this, this really um, significant, rich, meaningful word, logos, uh, that's translated as word, capital W, word for us, that he is, he is referring to the one who ultimately is God the Son, who took on flesh, became Jesus, and dwelt among us. And so, um, so Jesus, we see, is the creator. Jesus, uh, <coughs> he says, um, he came into the world. Um, so this is the second point that I want to make for us. So Jesus is the creator. Not only is he the creator, but he entered into the creation. And I should mention as well, I debated as I was preparing to, to preach on this sermon whether I was going to go with John 1 or Colossians 1. And many of you, um, as I'm talking about Jesus as a creator, your mind has already gone to Colossians 1, which I believe we're gonna, is going to be unpacked for us maybe a little bit um, in the coming weeks. And so um, we're not going to go to Colossians 1 today, but uh, there's a, a, a rich exposition there of Jesus as creator. Um, so... So second is that Jesus entered the creation. The second thing I want to draw out of this passage here as it relates to our theme, and we see that in several verses. Verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So God the Son, the divine word, second person of the Trinity, Jesus, he was in the world. Sadly, the world did not recognize him. Verse 11 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. You know, it's likely uh, that this is referring to the Jewish people, um, but in a sense, all of humanity rejected Jesus, but certainly his own people, the Jews, he didn't fit them, their framework for the Messiah. He didn't fit into what they imagined the Messiah was going to be like and what he was going to do and what he was going to seek to accomplish here on the earth. And so, um, they did not receive him, but he had come into the creation. In verse 14, we see the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, John goes on to say, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So he came into the world. The word became flesh. And again, you've probably heard that uh, taught on that that word, that phrase means he tabernacled among us. And maybe some of your translations actually use that English word that he tabernacled among us. I love that phrase because it captures the rich heritage of the presence of God among his people. And so, right, as you reflect back on the history of God dealing with his chosen people, the Israelites, um, when they were fleeing from Egypt and heading towards the promised land, God gave them a means through which he would come down and dwell among them in this tabernacle, right, which later developed into the, was, was built, the temple was built where God then dwelt among his people in the, in the temple. Um, and then when Jesus came, he took on flesh. He tabernacled among us. And this text doesn't go beyond that, but that theme continues on and we now have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. God dwells in us. We, um, individually, but especially corporately, together as a church, the body of Christ, we are the temple of God, that he dwells among us, not just among us, but in us, right? And so you see that transition. Um, and then ultimately, in the new heaven and the new earth, there's gonna be no need for the temple because of Jesus' presence, so intimately um, present there. Um, so you see this, this whole theme. But here, in particular, as we highlight that the word became flesh, he took on flesh, he, he tabernacled among us, he made his dwelling among us. And John is talking about how they had seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. And perhaps he's reflecting on that time when they went up on the mountain and Jesus was transfigured before their eyes. And, and the way I envision that is that Jesus is like revealing, he's pulling back the curtain a little bit to his true identity, his deeper, richer, fuller identity that was, was in, a, in a way cloaked in his humanity, um, but it was not... Uh, was still there, like his, his divine nature was still present, right? And so they, he gave them a glimpse of the, more of the fullness of his glory in that moment. And, and they were awestruck and they, Peter said some stupid things kind of. I mean, just like they kind of, they didn't know what to say because they were so amazed in that moment and seeing his glory. Like, so I wonder if that at least was, was perhaps part of what John is thinking about when he was writing that. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, the one, the creator God who came and dwelt among us physically. They, they walked with him, they talked with him, they slept, they you know, in, in hung out together and they you know, enjoyed food together. So I mean, he was physically present with his people his disciples. So first, Jesus is the creator. Second, Jesus entered into his creation. And third, Jesus makes the triune God known. Verses 16 through 18, 
or where this is highlighted, out of his fullness. We've all received grace in place of grace already given. I spent some time kind of studying and reflecting on that, that particular verse. Out of his fullness, we have received, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. I'm not 100% confident that I have the right interpretation of this, but based on what he says in verses 17 and 18, um, I, I think that what John is saying here, referring to is this grace upon grace, is that um, it was an act of grace that God gave the law to Moses in the Old Testament. It was a gracious means by which God's sinful people could still have a relationship with their holy God. But our gracious God heaped a pile of grace on top of the grace already given by sending God the Son, the divine word, the Logos, to take on flesh and enter into the world in order to make the triune God known at an even deeper, more personal level. So I think that's what he's saying because he goes on immediately in verse 17 to say, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, And then he says in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So, you know, so there's general revelation, right? There's the creation. And as much as certain people in the congregation may not appreciate snow on a Sunday morning when uh, they need to try to, you know, get the parking lot ready for church, like, Snow is beautiful, and we can appreciate that as part of God's creation. Like, you know, being out hunting, you can appreciate the beauty of going to the mountains, going to the ocean, right? There's just, I mean, and in the fall here when the colors are brilliant, and this year we kind of got the double whammy of, uh, you know, the fall colors were bright, and then they kind of dimmed down, and then they, you know, when the oak trees came into the color, they, it was like two um, times where we got to experience just this, this colorful, magnificent painting that God was providing for us. You, know, you can reflect on all these amazing things in creation that point to a creator, right? And you think about different animals and, and just human beings and inter- intricacies of our body and, and, and so many amazing things about the creation that should lead us to awe of our creator and lead us to worship of our creator. They point to him. General revelation points to God. Romans 1 talks about that. But God has gone further than that. He gave us the written word, right? His revelation of himself, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so he has made himself known more fully through the written word, which is an unbelievable blessing that, you know, Christians, especially in like the persecuted church, I think they, they do probably a far better job of, of not taking that for granted than, than we do with, you know, Bibles that get covered in dust on our shelves sometimes um, because we just have such easy access, not only to the paper versions, but to the digi- all the digital resources. You know, and Blue Letter Bible is a resource I think we've talked about here. I mentioned it this Wednesday at Youth Group and other free resources online for digging deep into the word of God to get to know God and ultimately to come to love and serve and follow God, to be redeemed by him, to have a right relationship with God. But he went further than, than the written word, like he, he came and dwelt among us so that we could get to know him. And, you know, and so this is just one of numerous texts where we see in the scriptures where Jesus is talking about how he makes uh, the Father known, like he came to make God known, and ultimately the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We come to know 
God more accurately, more intimately, more personally because Jesus dwelt among us. He lived here on this earth. He suffered. He was betrayed. Uh, he was crucified, right? He, was ag- he agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I know when Andre and Rene got to go to Israel a little while back, I mean, that was one of the most poignant experiences that Andre shared about in terms of sitting there in the Garden of Gethsemane and reflecting on what Jesus went through you know, the, the, the day before um, his crucifixion and just you know, asking the Father if there's any other way and yet submitting to the Father's will. And, and so he, he makes the Father known. He makes the Holy Spirit known. He, he, we come to know the triune God through Jesus' birth, his life, his ministry, his teaching, his death, his resurrection. This is truly grace upon grace. So since the creator has entered creation to make the triune God known, we ought to respond to this gracious, grace, gracious revelation by, I'm gonna suggest three things. One, spending time with him. Let us you know, commit ourselves anew, and, and we don't have to wait for January 1st for your New Year's resolution. We can commit ourselves anew to revering the Word of God, to studying it, to opening it up, to prayerfully entering into our time in the Word, expecting to meet with God, to come to know Him, to expect Him to communicate to us personally and tangibly in a very real way. At times, that is encouraging us, right? Uh, helping us to grow in our faith uh, when we're struggling, when we're discouraged. At other times, it's convicting us, rebuking us. We don't always like that side of it as much, but I, I listened uh, this past week to a, a message from one of my seminary professors, D.A. Carson, and he talked about the biblical principle or the biblical concept of the, of the double-edged sword, and the way he describes that is is that it cuts both ways. It cuts both to encourage and build up, but it also cuts to convict and lead to repentance. Um, it does both for us, and we need both in our lives. So that, that's my first challenge to us in response to this reflection on, on Advent and the reflection on Jesus as the creator coming into the creation. Um, let us commit to spending time with him, studying the written word, doing it together with others. And, there's, and we're, we're uh, hoping to launch and, and encourage small groups in January. And so be, stay tuned for more information coming about that. But we'd love to see everyone in the church, but especially, I mean, we'd love to see as many of you as possible getting into small groups, if you're not already, where you can study the God of Word, God of, the Word of God together with others in our church family and wrestling through it together, applying it to your lives, encouraging one another, loving one another. The second application, um, the second thing I think we ought to do in response to this gracious revelation is worshiping and praising God for who He is. As we reflect on the character traits of God, as we think about who Jesus is, how he lived his life, uh, you know, when he was on the cross and he could have called down, you know, legions of angels to rescue him when he was being mocked and, and abused verbally and physically, yet he didn't, you know. He took on our shame and, and he bore it to the cross, nailing it there, Right? That ought to lead us to worship and to praise God for who he is. And third application 
is telling others about the gracious, loving, triune God we serve. As we reflect on who God is, as we come to know God more accurately because Jesus came and dwelt among us, more and more we should be motivated and encouraged and inspired to talk with others, to share with them, to ask them, what do you believe about Jesus? And to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in those opportunities to to do that. So during the season of Advent, as we reflect on the first coming of Christ, let me ask you this question. Who is Jesus to you? And let me encourage you to be reminded that Jesus is our creator. He is the creator who has entered his creation in order to make himself known to us. This ought to give us comfort and joy as we sing about It ought to overwhelm us with gratitude that God would love us so much as to make himself known to us at this incredible level of entering the creation and enduring all that was to come so that we might be redeemed and reconciled to our great creator who is Jesus our Lord. We lit the candle that reminds us of the love of God and that is what I believe compelled him to send his son to come and dwell among us. So today over coffee and a donut after service or during lunch or at some point during the week, ask ask someone, who is Jesus to you? And then take some time to think through how you would respond to that question if someone asked you, who is Jesus to you? And as we close, I wanna share with you a video that, that perhaps I've shared with some of you before, but I think it's well worth reflecting on again. And it's the artist Clayton Jennings' poetic answer to the question, who is Jesus to you? He is more than you could ever need. He's more than the eye could see. I don't deserve his love, but he's always been there for me. You see, Jesus met me when I was at my lowest. And if you don't know Jesus, know this. He is the greatest example of generosity this world of greed has ever seen. And when Jesus hit the scene, he changed the scenery and met diversity with serenity. If you're looking for peace, he offers plenty. Jesus was and Jesus will forever be king. And when the angels sing, they sing of the grace that was displayed for sinners like me. I can't explain him and I can't describe him. And if I could, he wouldn't be Jesus because you can't explain eternity and you can't comprehend the galaxies. But it was the loving hands of Jesus who spun them into existence and created man knowing he would go to the cross to pay our sentence. There was a certificate of judgment with a period after the sentence and we were sentenced to death long before he said it is finished. He is a father to the orphan, a shelter for the homeless, a hiding place for the abused and an anchor for our storms. He stormed the gates of hell and came out on top and the power of his gospel cannot be stopped. Even when the world tries, they try a lot. He traded places with Barabbas and became the catalyst of missions across the world covering every portion of the atlas. If you're in need of rest, I know of a mattress. If you don't know Jesus, your future is tragic, but he gladly embraced tragedy so we could live in his presence of majesty. His presence is presence, and it's his presence that presents preciousness to a world of peasants. He is far from pretentious, but still loves those who are. He is the light of the world and hung the stars. He brings the dead to life and delivers life to the dead. He took a crown of thorns on his head so we could put crowns at his feet, and I I can't wait until I get to kiss his feet that were nailed to a cross for me and for you and for every person around the world. He loves the world and I love his word because the word became flesh and in his flesh he demonstrated the word to the world. He is an example to every boy and every girl. He is a lover of black people. He is a lover of white people. He is a lover of the unchurched and the assembly 
under the steeple. He doesn't see the believer's failures, but still takes time to celebrate their faithfulness. It's the power of the Spirit that enables us and gives us boldness when the world labels us. And if you want to label me, please call me a Jesus freak. If that freaks you out, good. Because it's better to be good with God than to fight being misunderstood by a world that could never understand. So let it be understood that I don't worship man, we worship Jesus. And although he doesn't need us, he still sees us and pleads with us to run to the cross where he bled for us. His heart bleeds for us, his heart grieves for us, but still graciously grants us a pardon for our treason in a season where the world tries to explain away the work of the Spirit with human reasoning. There's a reason they can't. Because the Spirit is like the wind and the wind cannot be seen. But loved is the one who believes without seeing the unseen. I'm telling you today that Jesus is something. He's something more. He's something great. And if you want to know him, you don't have to wait. He stands at the narrow path with a key to the gate, and you only have to reach out and embrace his grace. I don't care who's president. I have the king who is always present. I don't care who holds musical celebrity. The voice of the Lord will always be the sweetest melody. I don't care who owns the riches of the globe. My Jesus holds more wealth than one ruby on his robe. I don't care who is the strongest or the fastest. Nothing matches the creator of the universe and his immortal, infinite status. I don't care about religious leaders who died and stayed dead. I'll only worship the one who conquered death and wears a crown on his head. His name is Jesus, and I'm telling you, he's something. He was faithful yesterday, and he is faithful today. I can feel his presence whenever I pray. And when the time comes for me to fade away, I'll remember the day I heard him say, My name is Jesus. watched that so many times and it hits me every time. I think it's so good to reflect on who Jesus is, who our God is. I invite the worship team to come up. I want to say one last thing and pray. Uh, what I want to say is that um, the high school, uh, youth Sunday school class has been going through a, a series and there was something in, in when I was kind of preparing, uh, helping prepare some of that, the, uh, in the first video of that series from Right Now Media, there's something the, the speaker said that led me down this road of kind of exploring this concept and this idea, which ultimately led me to, uh, to pick up this little booklet. It was actually uh, an old sermon from Thomas Chalmers, and uh, it was called the, the Expulsive Power of a Greater Affection. You know, I just love titles like that. I, my title wasn't really nearly as cool as that title for today, but uh, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And so I picked up just a little booklet. I mean, it was his sermon, and I picked it up before we did our retreat in Florida, and that was one of my goals. And so while we were on the, on the beach one day, just sitting by the ocean, I read through that whole thing. And just reflecting on this idea is that when we struggle, sometimes in life, like we focus on trying so hard not to do the things we shouldn't do. And his argument in this sermon is that what's a better strategy is to replace like our affections for the things of the world with a greater affection. And I think we do that by reflecting regularly on who our God is. That's one of the ways we can do that. I think by fellowshipping together as believers, we can encourage one another to have this greater affection that it just... It, it, it surpasses this affection we have for the things of the world so that they just, it's not, we're not focused on those. Like, they, those mean nothing to us because we have something so much richer and greater. And that's what this sort of like video does for me and I hope it does that to a degree for you as well as we reflect on getting to know, Je getting to know God better because Jesus came to this earth. God, the Son, the Creator, 
came to this earth so that we could get to know God better. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning again that we can gather as your church to worship you, to learn from your word, and we thank you so much that, that Jesus, as creator, came to this earth, took on flesh, dwelt among us, suffered and died to free us from our sins, to reconcile us to you, God the Father, and to help us come to know you more intimately and accurately. And I pray in response as we enter into a time of worship through song that we would worship from the the depths of our soul and just praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand and join.